Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Let me read your bio. It it starts with this. I am going to include this lovely sentence, which is that you said to me, please say that I'm a professional leg spreader and opinion haver. So true. <laughs> so true. Put it on your CV. Yeah, that's just it. That's the line. That's, that's the tweet. That's it. That's the, t- yes, send tweet. Juno Mack is a sex worker, activist, author, and photographer based in London, UK. She's an organizer with Sex Workers Advocacy and Resistance Movement, or SWARM, a collection of sex workers based in different cities around the United Kingdom. She's one of the co-authors with Molly Smith of the book Revolting Prostitutes, The Fight for Sex Workers' Rights, released in 2018, and is currently working on a part documentary, part memoir, photographic project about the intimate spaces in sex working lives. And furthermore, you may have seen her amazing TED talk that I love and sometimes will like watch just to like pump myself up you know it's like putting on like a great like Donna Summer track you know to like get ready for the party it's like I just like need to watch Juno's TED talk oh my god that's great and if you haven't already seen it it is essential watching and it is it's called the laws that sex workers really want yeah so I mean I think that because of all the writing and media making that you do, and in particular because you just made this indispensable book, Revolting Prostitutes, I think that we're going to kind of do what I call an interrobang episode where we just kind of like wander around in the topics of literature and politics and sex work and sexuality that you and I both really love to talk about and just based on the google doc that we've come up with have um a lot to say about does that feel good to you oh yeah yeah that sounds great there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss I'm really enjoying this conversation. It's so, it's so much more in depth than I usually get to do. I'm so glad. I I worry that like being super in depth isn't like like always great for people's podcasts because I know like it has to be accessible. So I I don't mind if you like chop bits out, but I'm personally enjoying the conversations just for myself. You no. Know? Well, that is very important, and I also think that 
that is key to the style of this podcast yeah that for sure i try to create a space for people to like i said to have the conversations that they want to have in the ways that they want to have them that they maybe don't feel like they always get to and honestly i mean this is a place where like i like listening to shows and or like reading things where people are showing their work so to speak mm. so I feel like, well, I can't be the only person that enjoys hearing all of the sort of like wandering stream of consciousness that people have. But also everything that you're saying is like your book, extremely incisive and coherent, like just oh, right, right from the source. I way down the rabbit hole, man. I'm like, stop going on and on about this thing. No. But it's, I just get on a roll. No, no, please <laughs> be on a roll. You're doing fantastic. If you wanted to wander into anything a little more light, I was just having a great conversation with someone this morning about kink roles and like, and how, how weird it is that in sex worker activist communities, everybody treats me as like a mother. Ah. And also that's my, and also mommy is like my kink role. Yes. And I find myself constantly like in a battle between trying not to be everybody's mother all the time, because actually that's something I prefer to do in my private life. And ah. it's like, obviously it's so obvious what the brain is trying to do. It's like such a weird thing, but yeah, I'm also, I also listened to the episode with Chingy about mommies. And I, I loved it. I almost recommended that to you. And then I was like, she's going to find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I sent it to my girlfriend. I was like, "This, you've got to you've got to listen to this podcast. It's all about us. And she was like, oh, no, I'm worried because like I hate it when I listen to something about mommy girl stuff and it doesn't quite get it right. Mm. And I was like, I was like, no, nah, this definitely does. Like Chingy obviously is very passionate about about mommy. That is what I like to hear and I, I love <laughs> I love to hear that everything else gets it wrong except for why are people into that. Yes. I would like to think that part of it is um is my good taste in people. Yeah, it's definitely one of the bravest sex podcasts. I, I listen to a few sex podcasts that are so tentative and like not very courageous. Mm. Whereas I think why are people into that really like just fucking, it gets right in there. And it probably, yeah, is due to the fact that you're in this wider community. So there's a genuine sense of like trust, I think. Like mm. there's not as much guardedness anyway. I think that's good. Well, oof, ugh, now now this is just the, the part of the podcast yeah. where you stroke my ego. Still recording. You can use all of this. I'm going to. <laughs> so appreciate that, especially what you said about trust. That is extremely important to me. And I like that you said that it is is courageous and I totally agree. I mean, I'll just go ahead and say that there are there are just a lot of really bad sex podcasts out there. Um yeah. and I'm I kinda I'm kinda like, why are you even doing a podcast about sex if you're gonna be tentative and then people tell me that like that people like to hear people talking about sex in a tentative way because then it like validates their own tentativeness all right uh, maybe that's true that feels counter-revolutionary to me uh but also like that's fine mm. those people can have those podcasts but I don't even really feel like to me the conversations that I have don't I'm not even like setting out to be like bold or brave this is just like the way that the people that I like to talk to about sex mm. talk about sex. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess there's people who listen to podcasts, and then there's people like us. <laughs> like when I when I I started listening to this is off the record. Sure. And I was just listening to it, feeling like. Well, I mean, now I feel weird, like, because you felt weird at this sex party. And it, I, 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 know, I just felt kind of like it wasn't aimed at me. And I was like, I'm just going to stick to wire people into that, which clearly <laughs> where people are talking about, like, drinking breast milk and, yeah, putting menstrual blood on ice cream all day long. That sounds about right. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I... I mean, those are just the facts. Those are just the things that we talk about on the show. They're just the the cold hard facts. Yes, without naming any names. You've totally identified this this phenomenon that I think is a lot of sex media. And and I've I've found myself in situations where I'm asked to be a guest. And then I sort of realize the situation that I found myself in is one in which, I mean, it is essentially a colonialist approach. It's like a let's go on safari mm, yeah. or let's parachute in and let's the like intrepid explorer. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, this thing is so titillating because it's something that we're ultimately, or, or to like use like a different example. It's like, we're putting on our hazmat suits and like mm. going in to this like alien environment, but we won't be tainted by it. We ultimately won't, and like the basics of storytelling is that you want you want to see your main character, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, transformed by the experience. But yeah. I feel like what so often happens in that 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 kind of quote unquote documentary about like sexual subcultures is that the host doesn't learn or grow or change, and that that yes, is like yes. validating for the person watching who wants to like know that there are like freaks out there doing freaky things, but doesn't actually mm. want to. Cause like if you were changed by the experience, you would have to admit that it appealed to your parent interest. Yeah. That is like baked into institutional infrastructure that it is not okay for no, something. yeah, that's that's the butthole that we're afraid anyone's going to see. Exactly. It? It's really, it's such a deep, like, primal, primordial, like, desire towards privacy around our sexuality. Yes. And, like, the fear that the the narrator of the story cannot be corrupted by the sex. The corruption would just be, like, being turned on by it or finding something appealing or or even, and that's why the premise of this show is wire people into that is like just even like impartially or intellectually or 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 I guess like on an emotional level like having empathy for the fact that other people are into something that like you can contemplate or even yeah. feel compassion mm-hmm. for why somebody else would be into something without yeah b- without being corrupted in the sense that you might one day think about it when you're getting off or that you might one yeah. day want to ask your partner to experiment with it that you're like yeah transformed or corrupted like beyond redemption yeah this is a topic that's really close to my heart and it's actually this is the terrain on which my politics around sex worker rights and mm. my politics around sexuality enjoy a brief moment of cohesion as Yay. i said before i usually keep i usually keep them apart mm. but when it comes to this kind of stuff i really fundamentally like one of the central tenets of my politics is that other people are generally rational beings mm. and you should be able to understand their responses as 
rational ones in an irrational world, whether or not that's like getting off to mixing menstrual blood in with their ice cream <laughs> or whether it's their decision to engage in survival sex or do another like weird thing. Like you have to how it's uh, it's incumbent upon us as human beings to give each other the empathy it takes to see one another as like rational. And this is completely lacking in most documentary media, mm. whether it's like podcasts that claim to be about sex or whether it's something that's a little bit more obviously crap, like the recent documentary by Louis Theroux, where I would just, I would love to see a documentary where Louis Theroux admitted that he could understand that sex workers are rational actors mm. because he himself has recognized how his work compromises him. Louis Theroux is a man who in the course of his work has smiled at and and groveled to and appeased rapists, fascists, pedophiles like in a bid to get the story. He has made he has made nice with all manner of like grotesque people mm. because he was scared in the moment and in the, in the broader sense wanted the story so his work compromises him you'd think that that would give him a great sense of empathy to understand like why are people into you know engaging in sex work and i think it's the same whether or not you're investigating sexuality or you're investigating sex workers like i personally want to see a narrator who really like gets their hands dirty metaphorically speaking and like recognizes mm. that they're not any better than the people that they're like looking at. And it's also like the relationship between looker and looked at needs to be kind of broken apart, I think. I, I feel super strongly about this. This is something I'm like exploring in my photography right now. Yeah. Because if, if you go back to like when I first started taking pictures at college, I was doing sex work at the time, but I was like completely unable to take photos that didn't look like they were taken by a man who was like looking at sex workers. They were really fetishistic and voyeuristic. And it's something that I'm working on. I'm so interested as somebody who is not a, a visual person. Visual communication is so low on my like strong suit of like my uh, or, or my, my like toolkit of like my, my ability to communicate. It's something I've like sometimes struggled with and sometimes just accept. And like I am so interested in how to as a voyeur like as an as an audience member as somebody who is like look maybe like you know or a, a gallery visitor in a gallery of an exhibit of photographs how to distinguish between what it means to have a male gaze have a female gaze have a queer gaze like what is the like sex work gaze <laughs> also potentially yeah. and like and then also as the photographer who in a way is also the voyeur who is like mediating that between like the the subject mm. and the the sort of audience member how do you distinguish between like taking pictures of other sex workers like if you don't want to be fetishistic or you don't want to be voyeuristic or you don't want to have a male gaze like how how do you work on not doing that or not having it appear that way it's really hard because especially that the thing that like photography is just a hobby for me yeah. and it's like been it's been something that I have gotten more and more into over the last few years and mainly the 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 photography I end up doing the most of is people's pictures for their adverts right you know and like friends people in my community will ask me to take their picture I, I do it as kind of like a active service for the community I don't make any money from it and it can be very hard to create I also at the same time I want to create good 
documentary portraiture of sex workers as just a creative pursuit of mine. And it's very interesting to kind of try to wrestle some creative work out of the grasp of this incredibly potent, not only male gaze, but it's the male gaze that's specific to the sex industry. Yeah. You know, it's the, it's a kind of relentless hypnotic drive towards creating imagery that is supposed to turn people on and is supposed to display bodies like their products. Sure. And available for consumption. Really, yeah. And like, it's been very interesting for me to try to work on my photography as a, as an art form to try and make work that doesn't look like that, that kind of like reclaims people's you know, the texture of people's like real bodies. Yeah. The characteristics, if not of their face, because oftentimes people have to hide their face, but like that their their personalities and their subjectivity mm. that can be portrayed without completely just cutting their head off is 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 like I mean, it makes for fantastic practice as a photographer, but it is something that still I'm still working on. And once one of the projects that I'm convincing myself that I will eventually get going on during this whole crisis is like doing a photo book. I would love to cool. do a little book and an exhibition after it's all done. But yeah, it, it kind of relates to what the conversation we were having before about like media representation in TV and film and stuff. Like yeah. portraying things is a little bit more complicated. And like, I'd love to see a sex industry that's a bit uglier and more flawed, but not in the, not in a way that's supposed to invoke like pity or like abjection, right. but it's just or, a bit more real. Or grime. <laughs> uh, it's the same in the house I'm in. Like I just put a little, um, copy of my book on the toilet to mm. remind people not to flush while I was on the air with you and then I realized how arrogant that looked like <laughs> the, bu the book the book is here to remind you not to flush like while I'm on the air darlings that, that is that is fantastic I should I should use that I should use yeah, that oh god <laughs> I uh yeah I have such a complicated relationship with like being uh an author like sometimes I'll be like oh I can't write a bio it's too embarrassing and then other times I will accidentally do something that's like incredibly self-aggrandizing it's uh <laughs> it's it's definitely a weird one it's hard to get used to well I hope that you get more and more used to it because you make more and more books yeah well this the second edition of Revolting Prostitutes was supposed to have come out like a month or two ago. It was like obviously terrible timing. Yeah, I feel like sometimes like having work that has a little bit more um, like filth or grit then all of a sudden like if it's not like super high gloss then it becomes like oh this is about pity mm. for me like modeling has always been a means to an end of sex work like you talked mm. about like taking pictures for people's ads and i've always had a very hard time like communicating why you would want to have a session with me through like a still picture of me right you know, and then there's this whole idea of, like, the male gaze that, like, if you're a good model that you can rise to the occasion of, the, like, the platonic ideal of, like, em like embodying, like, the glamour, glamour in the sense of, like, the hypnotic seduction that you were talking about of, like, female, female mm. beauty that would make someone want to get their credit card out. But, like, I am not convinced that there are not male clients or potential male clients who find all kinds of imagery alluring that would like that mm. that like all kinds of imagery would inspire them to be like i would like to pay to have an experience involving this person yeah for sure and that there's not just like one 
kind of male gaze, but it, it is interesting also that you kind of are talking about it almost in the American legal definition of obscenity that you like know it when you see it. <laughs> that you like know yeah, the male gaze right. when you see it. And even when you look at your own work, you know, I mean, obviously we're all like influenced by like living in uh, patriarchy and the mm. patriarchal run media, the way that you can like recognize the male gaze in your own work and then like not even quite know how to deconstruct that to get or rid to of get, it yeah to, yeah to purge it yeah sure. it's really interesting yeah and to decolonize it from like you know i i just think we all have responsibility to unlearn the way we see the world yeah um also because sometimes those ways of seeing are not even like the best or like i i can't like even keep track of the amount of clients i've shown some of my other photography to like clients who i feel a bit safer showing more personal yeah work in front yeah. of and they've said that they prefer the like really zany portraits of people that are a bit more intimate totally over the ones that are just showing tna so i also think that uh it's crazy to me that the people who have the power at netflix haven't realized that you know they're producing these very glossy shows that are about beautiful cis thin white escorts right. thinking that that's what people want to see but i i guarantee that someone at some point is going to realize that actually what people want is like a great sitcom or or like gritty drama that's about what life is actually like in a brothel yeah. or in a handjob parlor that shows it like like all of the complex characters and the complex relationships, the complex power dynamics. Like that's surely what people really want to see. Like they want to. The people don't know what's good for them, basically. I, I hope that somebody writes the TV show that I'm thinking of. And, like, uh, I suppose, what's the movie that came out recently about uh, strippers? Hustlers. Yeah, Hustlers is still very glossy, yeah. obviously still very capitalistic. Obviously, Lovely Jack it shines bright like a star in Truly. that. And I, I personally loved it. I thought it was so much I fun. I loved it, too. It certainly got a little bit more, like, into stripper culture yeah. and sex worker communities than any other movie that I have I seen agree. in recent years. I even had a little bit of an emotional moment, like at the start of the movie, where you've you've had like 20 seconds of looking at one of the key characters. And it's usually at that point that the subject matter would shift to the real protagonist. And it's when it's when you realize actually no, we're gonna we're gonna carry on seeing yeah. from this yeah. character's perspe perspective, the stripper's perspective. I even got a little moment of like feeling emotional because I was like, oh shit, we're not in Kansas anymore. This is this is great. It's jarring. It's a great opening yeah. shot. Yeah, I totally think that even the very legit critiques of that movie from within sex work communities also just speak to like, like this is advancing us to the point where we can be talking about more than just the fucking basics yes i said the same thing i was like i was i thought the critiques were legit i think it's good to be aware of like if if, if it's not the patriarchy it's capitalism like it's good to keep talking about it but what a great opportunity to have a different conversation about sex work representation for once yeah and i personally i'm totally here for it i think that hustlers is going to become part of you know sex worker canon yes. like i love it i think it's a great stepping stone i hope that next we have a more diverse representation of um, of prostitutes. Yeah. I would love to see uh, a film like Hustlers, like do something for for prostitutes that it's done for strippers, and like bring on the critique. Like we we are an incredibly critical community. Yeah. Our fangs are so fucking sharp because <laughs> we're constantly we're constantly defending ourselves. 
And that's fine. Like nobody can put anything out into the world without having it ripped to shreds by the people who are supposed to be closest to the thing. Revolting prostitutes is no exception. Mm. I don't think I don't think anyone's done a good job of anything if you don't at least have one hater who is out there for your guts. I think that's fine. I agree completely. And when we were talking about pop culture representation, one other thing that you brought up that I think is so lovely is sex worker for sex worker queer love. Oh my god, totally. It's another topic very close to my heart. Same. <laughs> I'd love to see that in a movie. And that's something I'd love to photograph more of. I'm interested in sexuality, sexual, both sexual orientation and sexual um, preferences of all kinds mm. amongst the sex worker community and how that is shaped by queerness and trauma, mm. whether it's like overt trauma from experiencing violence or just the trauma of like existing in the world as a sex worker and like yeah. having sex for money yeah and how that can have such a is that the word Del- deleterious it can have a, a shitty effect mm. on, yeah on one's sexuality i personally have struggled with this i think to be a prostitute for 10 years is to carry a lot of scars yeah sexually and i think it's interesting how some sex workers gravitate towards one another mm. i think you can experience like a a specific kind of safety when you're in sexual connections with other sex workers like yeah there's there's certain things that i think it's it it can be hard to communicate to a partner who hasn't had some of those experiences so i i think that would make a fucking great topic for a film or a tv show or a book like don't in fact don't steal my idea anyone i'm gonna write that fucking screenplay hell yeah (laughs) hell yeah it's on my to-do list two tickets please (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'll add it to the list of stuff i'm working on the list that never fucking gets any shorter jesus well that's good we should our lists should continue to grow uh, until we perish (laughs) that's how that's how we know that we're that we're alive we have lists (laughs) (laughs) that's how i know i'm living yeah the lists i can't resist going back to the thing that you brought up about Mm. identifying in a kink way as a mommy oh yeah but then also identifying as a mother in the movement can you talk about that a little bit more i don't know what came first for me like my kink orientation or this kind of way that i've been ascribed a mother figure so much in my life and in 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 my personal life like a lot of partners have kind of tried to make a mother figure out of me that wasn't a- about kink at all. It was just about emotional abdication. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a lot of taking care of people. Like, I think sometimes there's a little bit of a lock and key codependency for me. And I think people who have that going on often do find themselves gravitating towards activism, which is a, a role in a community where you are helping people and taking part in you know, what can often be a bunch of thankless tasks. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it. I wonder if late uh, I've latterly kind of gravitated towards it in the kink sense as a way to try and, like, work through some of the neuroses I have about being everyone's caretaker. Well, and also you know? maybe, like, if you're in a position of power as a mommy in an interpersonal scene or an interpersonal dynamic, you have more control or more say-so over what the fuck you're getting out of it. Yeah. Instead of it being a series of 
thankless tasks because there's a lot of different ways to embody being a nurturing feminine caretaker and one script is invisible labor and bottomless selflessness and then another is the all-powerful domineering sexy mommy figure i don't even know how else to describe her but it seems like it could be (laughs) satisfying to be her especially if you have felt put in that in that other mommy position and are feeling perhaps burnt out as so many moms and mommies are yeah i definitely think that's true i think for me kink is an arena where i can find i don't think that everyone would necessarily agree with this but for me like it's an arena where I find tidiness, you know, like a scene Same. is totally. a tidy, is a tidy place. Yes. I, if I'm like, if I'm mothering my girlfriend or, or my, my, or my partner, I feel like that I have control over the parameters of the situation. Like I can, I can cross the T's and dot the I's and everything is just so, and I'm yes. appreciated and I become like a whole valid person when I'm, mommy in a way and all all of the problems of the universe are solved temporarily by me by mommy i have everybody wrapped up in a bubble of safety yes. everybody can everybody can experience a moment of complete bliss because they don't have any problems because i have everything under control and in the real sign world me, excuse I, me sign, sign I, again two tickets please <laughs> <laughs> right and i think although I, I although i identify more as a mommy i would love to have one myself i think i would love to also sign up for the helpless milk drunk bliss of being the baby for once <laughs> uh, well i'm and i think we'll, we'll see we'll see what we can do <laughs> maybe someone listening can help me out but yeah i think i think in the real world I also have this tendency to want to fix all the problems, but obviously in the real world, it's not play. It's for real. There's a lot of right. there's a lot of horrible stuff out there that cannot be neutralized, that cannot be defanged so easily. And it's a lot of like uphill struggle to try to just ameliorate some aspects of it. So I think sometimes when I'm being, when I'm in my personal life, when I'm in play, mm. It's nice to just pretend like everything can be made safe just for a moment. I think that that is a beautiful description of <laughs> kink and BDSM play. And I totally agree. And I, I want that for you. <laughs> I think I want it for everyone. Yeah. I think everyone's looking for I think all kinds of people with all kinds of kink orientations are seeking it, it, this goes back to what we were saying earlier about like rational ra- people are rational mm. like even people with very you know off the beaten track kinks and fetishes are often looking for the same stuff they're looking for safety or they're looking for danger that is really about helping them orient themselves to safety mm. like it, people have people are just looking to regulate their nervous systems man like that's all anyone's trying to do for sure yeah <sighs> I'm, I'm no different nor nor am I and uh thank you for that that is so true and so beautiful (laughs) good I would love to Mm. ask you what are some of your favorite books on sex work I love Rent Girl which I'm sure you've probably seen by Michelle T absolutely and in fact the designer of safe sex is the illustrator of Rent Girl Lauren McCubbin 
Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. I really feel like it goes there as far as like queer. It's great because it really complicates the like narratives around sex work and it, mm. it makes it makes everything like a little bit more messy and real it doesn't yeah it doesn't present this like one tired narrative it was it was super important for me rent girl when i was first Same. getting political about sex work so I, I recommend that to anyone i think if you want if you want to really upend your worldview on sex work law and uh how sex work legislation really plays out to Live Freely in This World is a book about sex worker rights in Africa and mm. um, various different African nations. It's not by a sex worker, but it is very, it really senses and foregrounds the voices and the work of activists who are often kind of ignored in the uh, developed world. So I really recommend reading that. I obviously love playing the whore, like big shout out to Melissa Giragran, because I think without playing the whore, Revolting Prostitutes would be a very different book. We really, really drew very heavily on a lot of her, a lot of her work and wisdom, and she's just. I've got a lot of time for MGG, friend of the pod. Yeah, <laughs> friend of the pod. I'm sure. There's a really great book called uh, Two Great Books. If you're interested in trafficking and kind of borders, mm. I think to understand sex worker rights is really to be committed to understanding borders and trafficking. I think a lot of people shy away from understanding those topics because they seem like super heavy going and complex and impenetrable. And I think it's our obligation as sex worker activists to try our best to wade in there and understand the experiences of migrants. Sex at the margins and sex slaves and discourse masters. I think that they're both really good for getting a handle on those topics and also to flick to the back of Revolting Prostitutes and have a look at some of the books that are cited in the bibliography because we, like, people think Revolting Prostitutes is kind of a chunky book, but then they flick to the back and they realise, like, is a, there's a whole other book back there of other books. So. Yes, perfect. Works The works cited it's, page as, as big as the book. Yeah, I think I think when you look at the size of the bibliography, it really speaks to our fear or our, our, I guess our <laughs> defensiveness about our position in the debate like it was kind of a bit like we were making sure that nobody could accuse us of not doing our homework <laughs> we've got a list of like hundreds and hundreds of books we've read so yeah a lot of the ones that uh, have really influenced my work are listed at the back of revolting prostitutes but those ones I mentioned I think are essential reading. Excellent. Thank you. And what would you say is next for the sex worker rights movement? Uh, I think that everything is going to have been shaken up a little bit, but like a snow globe at the moment. I think that maybe what's happening right now is going to sharpen people's senses with regards to like where the work needs to be done. Mm. Like, and I, I say this with compassion, but I do think it's very easy sometimes for sex worker rights to really get blown off course by discussions that are not really very urgent. You know, like mm. I've seen, I've been on, on Twitter for a long time. There's been, a, there's been many occasions where the entirety of sex work Twitter spends a week talking about how an escort got kicked out of a bar mm. in New York. Mm. These are certainly newsworthy topics, but at the same time you have... You know, you have police officers in the global south beating and killing people in the streets with impunity because they're sex workers. You have sex workers being detained in detention centers and deported. And there's a, there's a lot going on beneath the surface. There's a lot going on that's not happening in English. 
And I hope that the COVID crisis is going to kind of reorient people towards the struggle where it's most urgent. But the situation for incarcerated sex workers, for example, mm. I think the plight of incarcerated people has been really brought to the forefront in the COVID crisis, or I think a lot of people are doing their damnedest to try and make it yeah. come to the forefront. And we need to not forget that. Like we need to, we need to remember how shitty it got when we were all in crisis, because some people are existing in that kind of crisis all the time. All the time. It's good for privileged middle-class white sex workers in the movement not to get too blown off track, remembering that like every injury to their ego is not actually what the struggle is all about. And I say that no. as somebody who's also, I mean, I've done my fair share of getting outraged about somebody using the wrong term for me. Like it's, it, the struggle is definitely real as far as like, being able to command the respect that we deserve in society and fighting stigma and stuff like that is important. But once once we've kind of like won that battle a few times, it's really good for everyone to turn their attention to the to the issues that desperately need a team effort. And yeah, for me, that's just where I'm at right now. Well, I couldn't agree with that more. Can you also say a few words about mutual aid? Yeah, mutual aid is like the, the phrase on everyone's lips right now. Mutual aid between members of a marginalized group where people help each other directly is very radical. It's a form of activism that is, I think, very effective. Like uh, with Swarm, for example, we've given direct cash grants to over a thousand people. Amazing. Basically directly into their bank account. We've raised that money ourselves and we've just given it to other people in the community. There's not been any money like lost through you know, paying for various bits of infrastructure so that charities can decide what sex workers need and then buy resources and distribute those resources, which obviously could be valuable depending on how it's done. But we believe that at a time like this, we really just needed to redistribute funds directly yeah. uh, because I think people in marginalized communities know best what to do for people in their community. Well said. So I think if people have money to give at a time like this, they should be looking for mutual aid initiatives or or any initiatives where money is being given directly to people. So like uh, there are there's some amazing fundraisers right now uh, at the moment for sex workers where money is being distributed directly to them or money for people who are in prison. I think just move the money around. I think sex workers also understand that most of all, like <laughs> if you really care about helping people, then that looks like cold, hard cash. You know, it looks like helping people to help themselves with with the, the most resources possible. That is also very well said. And cold, hard cash is king. an appropriate <laughs> note to end on as much as I hate to bring this to a close. I, I love bringing things to a close with the prospect of cash. <laughs> yes. Juno, will you tell people where they can learn more about revolting prostitutes and where they where you recommend that people get their hands on it while they unfortunately cannot physically go to a bookstore. Well, anyone can uh, get the ebook at Verso, Verso Books, which is the name of the publisher. If you're a sex worker and you can't afford a copy of Revolting Prostitutes, then please write me an email junomac at protonmail.ch and I will arrange for you to get an ebook. Uh, I don't want awesome. like the cost of the book to be a barrier for people reading. If people want to stay in touch or keep an eye on stuff I'm doing regarding sex worker rights, then they can follow me on Twitter. I'm junomac underscore. 
If people are more like kinky freaks and weirdos, then they can follow me on Instagram, where I am now Feral Mommy. Yes. I was recent. I was recently something else, and I changed it to Feral Mommy, and I'm loving that new handle. I have to say, I'm I'm loving I'm loving that handle too. <laughs> I don't really talk about sex worker rights as much on Instagram. It's generally just a place I post like sexy pictures of me and other people, and I exist as slightly more of a real person than Gino Mac. Like Gino Mac's just a skin suit I wear sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing all of those sides of yourself and thank you for everything that you have shared on the show today is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that we touch on before we go no I don't think so I just I'm just grateful to be invited into a space where I can be messy and like you know just kind of explore things without having to worry that you're about to you know jump out of a corner and like rip me a new rip me a new asshole because you've like figured out a flaw in my argument it's like as someone who's constantly on the defensive it's I appreciate it a lot to be amongst community and to feel a bit safer to have various conversations so thanks you are so welcome I promise if I like leap out of a corner and tear into you it will be in the context of like being like feral uh it will be a negotiated uh feral uh, scene in which you you know in which we create like a, a tidy circumstance in which oh yes I can leap at morality my... yeah i'm into yes, it exactly good good excellent <laughs> that's the next time i'm on this podcast okay wonderful perfect awesome juno thank you so much and take care of yourself thank you tina deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market